0: Good morning, Church. Um, our first reading for today is from 1 Chronicles, chapter 22, verses 1 to 16. Then David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here, and also the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them he appointed stonecutters to prepare dressed stone for the building, the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighted. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence, magnificence and fame and splendour in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations for his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his name, reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave to Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighted, and wood and stone. And you may add to them. You have many workers, stonecutters, masons and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work. In gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work. And the Lord be with you. And now for our second reading, um, which is found in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it into light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are the temple. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Jomima, thank you very, very much for reading those uh, readings to us. And hello again. Um, if you've joined us uh, perhaps today for the very first time, we've been journeying through this book of One Chronicles together, which is like a retelling of Israel's history uh, for the generation of returned back uh, from exile. It's a retelling of the story and it, it speaks very powerfully uh, for us and our generation here today. I, I hope you can follow with me. You'll see on your handouts on the back, there's a little outline do follow along. Feel free to make notes, uh, doodle or jot along. And um, please, can you keep the Bibles open at page 316? Page 316, you'll need that open uh, so you can follow along with me. Let me pray. Father, we began our service by, by singing, blessed be your name. Lord, I recognize today's a big day for us in the life of the church. We, we don't know what's going to happen with the outcome of this building, St. Stephen's, which we put this bid in for. Lord, whatever happens, we pray, blessed be your name. And we pray that now you'll help us to know how we can bless your name, how we can spread your fame here in Balaam and beyond to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever faced a task so big that you kind of felt paralyzed and not really knowing what to do? Um, Hannah and I, we took the kids to someone's uh, house recently and the kids were playing on their computer. And as they're messing around their computer, I couldn't help but notice that their little email app at the bottom had over 12, sorry, over 18,000 unread emails. Seeing that gave me heart palpitations. 18,000 unread emails. How do you even begin processing all of that? And, um, you know, it's not just Mark Taylor who's got this problem. <laughs> I'm sure, sure all of us, we, we've delayed jobs because they just seem so huge. Um, I remember when I was a student, um, trying to sit down to write my 12,000 word dissertation and I remember I literally spent days staring at a blank Word document with that word count gloating at me at the bottom. Zero words. How do I begin? Um, and actually, much more recently, Hannah and I, we've been sitting on a particular form we have to fill in for about six months now. It will save us a lot of money if we manage to fill it in, but we just can't quite face filling it in. It's just too big. It requires too much of us. We just delay it and delay it. And it's been like that for tw- six months now. Have you ever felt a task, faced a task so large you've just felt paralyzed? Well, i begin with that question because we began our service earlier on with a reminder of the task facing us, the church, to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, even if we park for a moment all the other nations even if we just think for a moment about our nation, about our city, that is still a ridiculously huge and daunting task. According to the data gathered by Evangelical Alliance, only 6% of the UK population are practicing Christians, which indicates that 94% do not have a meaningful relationship with their saviour, Jesus Christ. 94%. And if we zero in on our area, according to the 2021 census, it revealed our area of, of Balaam. And you can see where Chestnut Grove is there, and you can see where St. Stephen's building is on there. It revealed that the vast majority of our people in our area don't even nominally call themselves Christian. Only 37% vaguely identify as Christian. Every morning I go into the office, I do my quiet time and I pray there because I don't get any quiet at home. And as I pray uh, in, in the little office, the windows looking out, I see hundreds of commuters each morning, thousands of commuters walking past. And the school children going to the opposite direction to this building. And I just imagine every morning, how many of these know Jesus? How many of these don't know Jesus and the way of salvation? Well, the task facing the chroniclers generation was also huge and daunting. As you can see from this map behind me, Israel was a, supposed to be a light to the nations. The Jerusalem temple was supposed to have this magnetic pull drawing in the nations to come to know the forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, in the Lord. But, but here's the thing, after the return from the exile, the Jews were just a tiny little province in the Persian empire. Politically, they were a complete irrelevance and the temple in Jerusalem was not having that magnetic pull. It was completely disappointing. So like us, given the size of the task before them, they felt utterly paralyzed. Why bother? I mean, why bother? The need is so big. My contribution is going to be so small. Why bother? What difference can we possibly make? Well, it's for this reason that the Chronicler is retelling a 700-year-old story about how the first temple came to be built. And it's relevant for us today because we too are interested in building the house of the Lord. As we heard in our, in our second reading from Corinthians, we here are the house of the Lord. We are the temple of the Lord. And, and we are the means through which the nations, the nations here in Balaam at least, are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So our passage follows very hot on the heels of what happened in the previous chapter. If you've missed it, um, King David purchased at full price this threshing floor overlooking, overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem. And it's there that David makes this sacrifice which manages uh, to stop uh, uh, God's anger from being poured out on his people. And David thinks to himself, hang on, there's something significant about this location. And that's where our passage picks up. Look at chapter 22 and verse 1. Our passage begins. The house of the Lord is to be here on this threshing floor. And also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. But the very first thing that uh, David thinks about as he's preparing for this building work to begin. First and foremost, he says God's name is to be known amongst the nations. That is the purpose of this building. For God's name to be known among the nations. Just look down at verse 5 with me. You can see this for yourself. Verse 5. David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I'll make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Now, at this point in time, Solomon's probably only about 20 years old. It's the age of a number of you here. And as a prince, we can probably imagine he had probably had the best education, the best opportunities afforded to him. But even so, David's assessment of his son is that he's simply not up to this enormous task. And frankly, who would be? The ambition here is to make a building worthy of the Lord's magnificence. In other words, it's the ultimate PR exercise not for a celebrity, but for the creator himself. They're broadcasting his fame and his name to everyone and everywhere so that all the nations might see His splendor and be sort of magnetically drawn to find life and forgiveness in him. That's the aim of this building. Who's up to this task? It's ridiculous. So David reasons, okay, I might not be the king who's going to build this building. And we'll hear more of why later. But I can certainly do all I can to prepare Solomon to build this building. So David, he says, I'm going to make it my mission to the day I die to do all I can to prepare. I personally am not going to benefit from this building, but I can certainly resource it. I'm not going to see the product, but I can ensure the process happens. Now, I wonder if that's why, if you look back at verse two, I wonder if that's why we're told where David draws his workforce from. You might, you might think Israelites concerned for ritual purity, they, they would just want only Israelites working on the Jerusalem temple. But no, David surprisingly enlists foreigners residing in Israel to help. And more than that, verse four, we're told he ships in cedarwood from Tyre and Sidon, which you can see from this map is outside of Israel, that they're pagans. He's getting his wood from there. I wonder if David specifically draws on the nations to help in the building of the temple because he's trying to communicate to Solomon that they are the target audience. This building is for them. See, both the chroniclers generation and our generation, we need reminding of this too. The aim of this house here is not ultimately for us. It is for them out there. The aim of this church is not to publicize our name, much less my name, but to publicize Jesus' name. We don't want to shut the nations out. We want to draw them in. And if you're new to CCB, you've got to know this is what we're about. We're not self-serving. We're about them. We are Christ's church for Balaam. Well, the rest of the passage is, is basically David's private pep, pep talk to his son Solomon. And from all the language he uses, it's pretty obvious uh, David's been reading the book of Joshua in his quiet time. David clearly sees himself as a sort of Moses figure. And um, handing on the baton to the next leader, the next uh, generation's leader. And the first thing he tells his son is that if God's name is to be known amongst the nations. Well, the king must be peaceful. Look at verse seven. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But his word of the Lord came to me, you have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Now, this is useful. This kind of fills in the reason why back in chapter 17, God says to David, you are not the one to build the house for me. It's because he's a man of war. It's because there's... Blood on his hands. Not just the, the blood of his enemies, which he's killed on the battlefield, but also the blood of the Israelites, who he's, he's killed as a result of his own sin and pride, as we heard last week. See, just, It's a bit like Moses again. Just as Moses brought the people of Israel out of slavery, but he himself was disqualified from entering the promised land. Also, David, he... He brought peace to the land, but he himself is disqualified from establishing God's place in the land. That job would fall to another. Verse 9, follow with me. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I'll give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, which means shalom, peace. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son. I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So the peace that Solomon enjoyed throughout the entirety of his reign. It was paid for by his father, David. But ultimately, it was given by God. It enabled him to be undistracted in building the house of the Lord, which is going to spread the fame of God's name. So that all the nations, the nations which were once at war with Israel, might now come to enjoy peace with the God of Israel. And fast forward a thousand years. And we see angels singing and announcing the birth of another. Davidic King. Uh, they tell us the purpose of his coming is to bring bring peace on earth between God and man. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we, the nations, we need peace with God because by nature we are at war with Him. You, by nature, are at war with God. We've ignored our Creator. We have stolen his crown and forced it on our own head. We've ignored his rightful rule over our lives. By nature, we're at war with him. We deserve war. But once again, God mercifully extends to us a king who brings peace. In 1962, a couple of missionaries, uh, Don Richardson and his wife, Carol, and their baby son, they, they went out to be missionaries in New Guinea. Their plan was to minister to the, uh, the Sawi people. They're a group of cannibals uh, living in, in the New Guinea uh, jungles. And, and Don, as you can imagine, he immersed himself in, in learning the complex language of this people. He began working out how, how to share the salvation of Jesus uh, with them. But there are various cultural barriers which made this really, really hard. Not least the fact that this culture prized treachery it prized deception they didn't value truthfulness at all so during this time then, the village which don and carol they lived in uh, it was it was attacked by an enemy tribe an enemy group of cannibals and, and weeks of fighting between these two tribes ensued and the richardsons they were considering at this point leaving and packing it in because they hadn't seen much fruit from all their efforts. But in an effort to stop the fighting, the chief of Don's tribe, he held a special ceremony together with the other warring tribe. In the ceremony, the chief took his own son and he gave it to the chief of the enemy tribe. And I think the reasoning behind that is, is that as long as this child was alive, there'll be peace between these two enemies because if a man can give his own son to his enemy, well, then, you know, he can be trusted. Well, Don Richardson used this tradition, their own tradition, in order to share something of the gospel with them. You see, God the Father. He offers us warring sinners. His very own son. Jesus is the ultimate peace child who. Came to live with his enemies. And in the end, peace was achieved, not through the shedding of our blood as we deserve, but through the shedding of his blood, willingly given on the cross. David couldn't build the house because the blood was on his hands. Jesus built this house because of the blood, his own blood. On his hands For God's name to be known among the nations, the king must be peaceful. But the second thing David wants to impress on his son is that ultimately, the success of this project hinges not on Solomon's personal ability and administration and logistics and, but actually on his personal obedience to God. In other words, the king not, must be peaceful, but he must also be lawful. Look at verse 11. 11. Now, my son, the Lord be with you and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God then you'll have success if you're careful to observe the decrees and laws the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Now we've heard this throughout our series, haven't we? If you've been uh, here week by week, the king represents God to the people. So that means if Solomon keeps the commands, then the Lord will be with them. Uh, not only with Solomon, but his people whom he represents. So if, if, if Solomon's to have success in this building project, it's vital that he obeys God's commands. He keeps the law. It's a bit like Eurovision. Bear with me. It's a bit like, bit like Eurovision. See, Britain's contestant this year was, was Mae Muller, and uh, she wrote a song called "I Wrote a Song." And uh, she represents Britain. And apparently she represents the best of Britain's pop. And since she was our representative, uh, that meant when she sung flat, Britain fell flat. When her rap was a bit cringy, British rap was a bit cringy. And ultimately, she came second to last. What does that say of Britain? We are second to last in Euro, in Europe at least. Now, ironically, I gather Princess Kate also had a role in, in the evening, and she also performed to, to great acclaim and with great popularity. And I wonder how much better we would have done if we put her into the competition instead. Wouldn't it be great having royalty represent you? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Well, for Israel back then and for Christians today, we do actually have royalty representing us. A lot of people... I'm um, under the misapprehension that Christianity is all about being good. And maybe you're here today, you're, you're, you're with a friend who invited you and, and you think, yeah, Christianity, that's what they think. It's all about being good. And if, if you're good, God will like you and so on and so forth. But you need to know that actually is completely wrong. The whole point of God sending us a saviour is because we aren't good. In his mercy, God gave us a perfect king who was obedient perfectly to God's law. And if you've ever read the Gospels, and I encourage you to do so, wherever you go, you see Jesus living this blameless life of obedience to God. And that isn't dry and stuffy and boring. Far from it. He was the most beautiful and magnetic character. Wherever he went, people just wanted to listen to him and love him. Because he lived the law. He lived God's way. So the most remarkable thing about Jesus going to the cross, it isn't just that his blood bought us peace. More than that, his perfect, obedient record of law keeping, it was given to each of us who follow him. You could say that he was punished for our nil point score. And we were given his success. We were given his victory, even though we don't deserve it. That's how God sees us now. Obedient because of him. Now, the impact of all this is that we are saved, not at all because of our obedience, but because of his obedience. Your standing with God rests not on your moral performance, but on his moral performance. And yet here's the thing, the longer we follow this king, the more we actually want to be like him, seeking his obedience, embodying his obedience, growing slowly, faultingly in obedience to him. So the success that we've seen here at CCB, it can't be attributed to our organizational skills or our resources. No, our success the success of this house has been built on the foundation of Christ's obedience. We have grown because people have been magnetically drawn to Christ in us. As we heard from Corinthians, there is no other foundation upon which to build. So just as Joshua and, and, and Solomon uh, faced daunting tasks of conquering the land and then establishing and building the temple, they were terrified by it. And so look at how verse 13 ends. This is the same charge Moses gave to Joshua. David repeats it to Solomon. At the end of verse 13, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. We face a daunting task. I'm, those statistics, those surveys, we do face a daunting task. But we're not to be discouraged. And we're not to be paralyzed by it. Rather, we are to be strong and courageous. Because our king has done everything necessary to ensure our success. He has won us peace. He has given us his own righteous obedience. And thirdly, he has given us all the resources we need as well. This is the third thing I want us to see. If God's name is to be known amongst the nations, our king must be resourceful. And he is. Just look at verse 14. This is ludicrous. <laughs> verse 14, I have taken great pains... To provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron, too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. Now, talent is kind of an unfamiliar ancient measurement to us, isn't it? So, these we might not appreciate the size of David's gift here, but it's very clear that he's giving up a ludicrous amount for this project. Uh, by modern exchange rates, Google helps me here. 100,000 talents of gold is worth 219 billion, 629 million, 658,894 US dollars. It's a breathtaking amount of money. And that's just the gold. <laughs> and then at the end of verse 14, David has the audacity to say to Solomon, Oh, and you may add to that. <laughs> or, or literally in Hebrew, you must add to that. That's not enough, David says. That's not enough. Now, I don't know if David's exaggerating the, the, the amounts here, but he's impressing on his son that it's impossible to overvalue the house of the Lord. You can't put a figure on the value of the house. But it's not just the money that, that the king has provided for the project. He's also provided people too. Look at verse 15. Uh, you have many workers, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord be with you. I was struck by that phrase at the beginning of verse 14. How David provided these things at great pains to himself. The king has suffered in order that this house gets built with a quality that it deserves. This is not some sort of Ikea flat pack disposable building. No, this is quality. This is is to represent the glorious permanence of the Lord with his people. I don't know how you think of yourself in terms of where you fit into the the house of the Lord, how you fit into what the church here is doing in Balaam. As you think of yourself, you might think, well, I just I just don't have much capacity To, to give to that much to this church here. You might think, well, I just don't, I don't have much money to offer in terms of what perhaps others might give. I'm only a student. You might think, well, I just, I'm just not that gifted. I, I see some of these musicians up front and I see some people teaching me children and I don't like children. You might know, I think, what do I have to bring? I mean, it seems to be ticking on nicely without me. What have I to bring? Am I really needed? Am I necessary? But our King, Jesus Christ, has resourced this church at great pains to himself. He has saved you Yes, you. In order that you might contribute to this building project, the spirit has gifted you, you with gifts that we need in order to build this house. The Lord Jesus Christ has resourced you, you with time and money, which you can give towards this effort. So like Solomon, we have we have absolutely no excuse to be paralysed by, by the size of the task before us. We can't just sit on our hands and do absolutely nothing. Neither can we idly piggyback whilst we just watch others doing the work. And I think, I think that's why this chapter closes with King David now turning from talking to Solomon to turning to the people, the leaders of his people. And he begins... Inviting the people to help the king build the house. And as I read uh, from verse 18, just imagine the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to you personally. Of this building project, of this house, this church. Verse 18. He said to them. Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest, peace on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of this land into my hands. And the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now, devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. Friends, can I ask, what are you lacking? What is hindering you from joining in and getting involved? The Lord is with you. He has given you peace with God. He's equipped you with gifts and, and abilities that we need. And please come find out how you can get involved. But don't ever think as you look at the size of the task. Oh, There's nothing I can do. I don't know if you've heard the story of um, a young girl was once walking along a beach. And uh, the tide had gone out and it stranded thousands, millions of, of these starfish on the beach. And as this little girl's walking along, she just, every now and then, she picked up a starfish and threw it back into the ocean because she knew, you know, the sun baking down, they're going to die very, easy, very quickly if, if they're not returned back to the water. So every few steps, she picked up a starfish and tossed it back in. Uh, she came across a fisherman who was slightly bewildered by her. She said, what, what? He said, What are you doing? There's millions of starfish. What possible difference can you make? She picked up a starfish, threw it in. Made a difference to that one, she said. Made a difference to that one. What difference can you make? The king at great pains has bought you to help build this house. So will you help? Let me pray. Father God, blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we don't know the outcome of what will be decided today about whether or not we get a building or not. But we trust that every single thing that we need has and will be given to us. We praise you for our King who has blood on his hands in order that we might enjoy peace, in order that we might be resourced to share good news with Balaam. So send us out in the power of your spirit to do just that. Put us to work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.